Good morning. I'm Emily Reese, and each Friday I hand over a little control, just a little though, to Matt Gundrum, who talks to us about the restaurant scene in the Twin Cities. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Yeah, just a little control, not too much. <laughs> too much. I don't want to take this thing over. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm pleased to have Jesse Held in the studio today. If you don't know his name, you've probably had one of his drinks. His career as a bartender and consultant has spanned across places like Town Talk Diner, Marvel Bar, Eat Street Social Parlor, and P.S. Steak. But today, he's hankering down on his own brand, Earl Giles, which is a beverage company that specializes in things like handmade syrups and tonics, and they hope to expand into more things such as uh, uh, you know, education, consulting, great stuff like that. Good morning, Jesse. Good morning. Uh, so you, you've been a part of this scene for, for many years now, but I read that you got into the industry like many bartenders do, paying for school. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell us more about those those humble early oh, beginnings. Oh, man. Uh, just listen to you hear, just listen to you <laughs> read back all the bars I've been a part of. I'm like, man, I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like like everybody that, that falls into this industry, the, the industry, you don't find it, it finds you type of thing. Uh, that cliche is so true. Um, going through college, you know, just trying to find a way to pay for your next bag of ramen and, uh, trying to figure out how to, how to do that and still pay for school. Um, and this industry has always been, uh, great with, you know, you go work a night and you come home with a couple hundred bucks and that's how you pay for stuff. Um, so that's kind of how, uh, I got brought into this industry was by, by means of necessity (laughs) to survive through college. And, um, uh, you know, you get through college and you just, you end up falling in love with, with the industry that you didn't even know. Right. So yeah. what did you go to school for? <laughs> Good story. Uh, <laughs> I actually went to school to be a, um, an orthopedic surgeon. Um, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I was, uh, I was actually trying to be a, um, I, my dream job back then I thought was to be a part of a sports team to be their, uh, their trainer like tape ankles and rehab injuries and stuff like that. So I went to school to learn how to be in the medical field. Um, I have a, Hey, I have a, a, a four year degree for, uh, nutritional science with emphasis on kinesiology and, and look at me now. So right. <laughs> I'm really, really utilizing my, uh, my, my education that I spent all kinds of money on. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I, I, you know, I had pursued, uh, dietetics. I wanted to be a dietitian and look where I am. Yeah. You know, you just never know. You I never know that, that, that journey is always so convoluted in the beginning, especially when you're going to school for something and it just turns into that. So I, so what I'm curious about is, so you, you, you know, you pick up this work trying to pay for school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm sure it wasn't a moment, but at what you know, d- describe that feeling or that period in your life where you started to realize that th- that this was far more than a gig to pay for school, and it was something that you know begun to feel more serious. Right. That that's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> I think the turning point for me was um, at the time that this moment happened. I had been bartending for I don't know, probably a ten to eleven years or so. And, and then at that time it was just a job. It was just, you know, you, you work your four or five shifts a week, you make your money, you go home you have, have you have your, you do your life and blah, blah, blah. And I think in my, I think I was probably 28, 29 years old, maybe 30. Um, you know, your quote unquote midlife crisis when you're that age. Uh, I was at a crossroads like, okay, do I do, 
do I do the old nine to five cubicle job? Um, do I use my college education or cause I've spent so much time in the industry already, do I really get serious about it? So I was on that kind of teeter totter and I walked in this bar called town talk diner and never heard of it. Um, walked in there one day and I saw these guys and these, these women doing incredible things behind a bar, like infusions and making their own bitters and making their own cordials and liqueurs and, and really like more than anything, it was the, me being never have stepped foot in there made me feel like I had was part of their family. Like the hospitality there was incredible. So not only were they doing these fantastic like science projects with that, that I was then drinking, but the hospitality of, of someone like Tim Niver um, and Aaron Johnson was over the top. Like just, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was just like totally like engulfed in it. And I realized then during that one stay that this is something that I want to do. I had been bartending for a long time, been in the restaurant industry for a long time, but I've never seen restaurant life done like that. And I really wanted to dive into that, that moment, um, like feet first. And I think when I left there, that was my decision that I need to get serious about this, this profession because this profession can be a career and I just need to, I just need to jump in hundred percent with it. So I think that was my moment of, I can actually make this a career and not, not having any idea or any aspirations of, of, of the journey that I've traveled since then. Um, but I, I understood that, you know, at that, that moment you can still, you know, have a great time, have a social life and make a career out of, out of this industry. Right. Yeah. Didn't you have like a life changing Sazerac? I at, did. At Town Talk? That was, that was that night. That was, uh, that was kind of the, the, the moment where, um, uh, Adam Harness, I remember it vividly. He's now a very good, very good friend of mine. Um, made me a Sazerac cocktail. I never heard of it at that time. Um, and it's been a Retza cocktail has been around for, you know, a 200 years, you know, it's been, it's, it's not <laughs> yeah. like brand new. And he made me a Sazerac and it changed my life about, it changed my drinking life about the way of the way I drank. Um, and, and the way that I looked at my profession of making drinks. And I wanted to learn more about that for sure, because that's something that I had never experienced before, before that. So. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Jesse. We will be back with you in just a moment. And on Fridays, we have Matt Gundrum here to talk to us about the restaurant scene. And today he has a special guest with him. Uh, and I want to ask Jesse to tell us what a Sazerac is, because not all of us might know what that is. We just were talking about how sure. you had one that changed your life. Then I'll let you two go on your merry way. <laughs> Sazerac is a uh, classic stirred cocktail with uh, now rye whiskey. Back in the day, it was made with cognac. Um, so it's most known today as a rye whiskey cocktail with a uh, touch of sugar or simple syrup. Um, I like to use Demerara. Um, some bitters, uh, Peixos and Angostura. And then uh, you take your glass and you spritz the inside of it with some absinthe uh, to make it nice and aromatic. And then you stir that thing and then you pour it into that beautiful glass with all the ar aromatics. And then you take a fresh lemon peel and you squeeze it over the top and you get that lemon freshness over the top of the drink. And then you just sip till you can't sip anymore. 
Beautiful. And usually that's what happens when you drink a Sazerac. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I want to kind of go into, well, your current-ish ventures. One of your most well-known stints was your your post as bar director for Jester Concepts. Mm-hmm. And and Jester Concepts, we, we actually had, you know, co-owner Brunt Frederick on a few weeks ago. And Jester Concepts, for those of you who listened the other week, they oversee places like uh, Parlor, Borough, Manello, Constantine, Mercado, Pia Steak. Um, and you stepped down as their bar director um, this year mm-hmm. to kind of refocus on Earl Giles. Um, you were there for what seven uh, years? Seven years. Yeah. So, so I mean, what was that period like? That that must have been an incredible time of growth. And it was. For you. It was. Um, you know, there's there's few moments in in this industry where you um, can look back at something and go, "I did that." Um, and I think the the moment which um, I was telling you earlier, like when you get thrown, you're in your bubble. You can't, you don't understand the magnitude of the bubble until you come out of the bubble. And I think once I left Jester and and I realized the the work that Brent and I and and Mike DeCamp have done with uh, with the company and with the restaurants and the bars and, and the in the culinary, um, that you appreciate it. Like, holy crap, I did that. Or we did that. Um, my time at Jester was, uh, I can't put a, a price tag on it. I can't, I can't uh, tell Brent um, how grateful I am enough um, for the opportunity because, uh, you know, I got to, for seven years, I got to, I got to not only work my dream job, but, but build, make, design my dream job. Um, where I got to like be a part of restaurant development and concepting. And, you know, it wasn't just about making cocktails. I mean, my position was um, I got to help um, Brent and Mike uh, formulate what the vision of the restaurant was going to be. Um, I got to help design it. You know, I got to do um, learn more about bar layout and ergonomics and all the, all those kinds of things that I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be able to do. And because of that, it's, it's given me the opportunity to, um, do more things, um, being able to, you know, start my own company with Earl Giles. Um, so my time at Jester, I, I, I look back on it and it's, it's a really incredible time in my life professionally where, um, it, it, it developed me who I am. You know, it, I, I went into it kind of thinking that I was, you know, um, just a, just a bar guy. And I, I left there thinking that, uh, understanding that I'm more than just a bar guy. I'm, I'm a restaurant guy. I'm a hospitality guy. And I think that's more than anything what my time at Jester allowed allowed me to do. Yeah, I wanna I wanna learn more about the beginning of Parlor. That's that's a, a <laughs> everybody a, wants to know that story. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just it's such an incredible place. For those of you that don't know, Parlor is a it's a two bars now it's a it has a location in the north loop of minneapolis and then um, downtown area of st paul west 7th adjacent too and yeah i went there i went to the minneapolis location for the first time in the fall last year and i was just blown away it mm-hmm. was just so amazing i mean the food was great the drinks were i mean the drinks are just out of this world i mean you're known for your old fashions right. those are those are amazing there uh and the way, and when, you know, when I talked to Brent uh, about this the other day, and when I read about it, it sounded like Parlor 
was almost just like thrown in there to figure out what to do with the bomb space because he had burrow first mm-hmm. and then he had a basement level and yeah. you guys were thinking what should we do with the space yeah it was crazy that this story i i love telling the story because it's it probably was a happy mistake um brent brought me downstairs during construction and burrow burrow the upstairs was further along in construction at the time um you know there was walls up there was you know framing was up there was equipment there and whatnot um and then he brought me downstairs to what was going to be parlor and he go and we we walked down there and it looked like it looked like you know baghdad it was just in (laughs) shambles it was there was stuff everywhere and and i looked at him and i go you want to do what down here he goes i don't know i want to do like a cocktail bar i'm like okay and um so at the time we didn't even have like a concept like what we wanted to do we had rough ideas like we want to do a bar down here okay well what's the parlor in the beginning didn't a didn't have a name uh, we weren't going to call it anything it was just going to be like a waiting room for people to go wait for dinner up in borough um it didn't have really it, it didn't have anything it, it wasn't really a thought through concept at that time and and the more we got to you know be in the space and kind of think about it um i think i, I told brent one day it's like i think it needs its own identity i think it needs its own thing i think we can do two concepts in one building um and you know borough can be about all the food you know and and the, what the chefs are doing upstairs and i think product can be more about the bartenders about you know designing cocktails so the more we got to play with the with the putty and, and kind of put things together, um, Parlor kind of just happened. Um, we had three names picked out for Parlor. Um, it was, oh my gosh, they were the 730 Lounge, I think was one of them. Um, Gaskets was one of them okay. because the industry that was in there previously to to Parlor, what made, they made rubber gaskets. So it was gonna be like a little, a, a nod to, to that. Yeah. And then Parlor was the the third choice because I, I wanted to make it feel like old timey. And, and, uh, you know, old, all the old Victorian era, you know, uh, times there was always a parlor that you wanted to go drink in and gather and as a place of gathering where, where, where people would go. So that's how parlor kind of happened as far as the name goes, as far as the concept goes. And I always wanted to build a bar that was the kind of bar that I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I worked at Marvel. We've all been to Marvel Marvel's incredible it's my favorite cocktail bar in the city it's still. my favorite cocktail bar in the world yeah it's <laughs> it's a, it's a great place and and i knew that i was going to be competing with marvel in the same neighborhood you know granted it's you know six seven blocks away but it was still going to be a competitor i wanted to create the marvel um i wanted to be on the same level as marvel as far as the cocktails go but i wanted to be more of a bunkers that was across the street where you could come in in jeans and t-shirt and flip-flops um, and sit next to a guy in a three-piece suit and have a martini or have a hamburger um, and feel comfortable. So I wanted to create a bar that was um, for everybody to come in. I, I didn't want a waiting line. I didn't want to. I didn't want to have the exclusivity that that Marvel does. Um, I wanted to be open for everybody, and I wanted to create a place that if I didn't, if I wasn't working, where would I want to go eat and drink and have a good time, meet friends? So Parlor was. Parlor is that to me. It still is to this day. It's like, you know, it's my favorite place to go to when I don't really want to go anywhere. You yeah. know, that, that makes any sense. Um, it's, it's comfortable. 
you get a great hamburger, you get a good drink, you meet some good friends. The bartenders are really fun, friendly and fun. Um, that's the kind of place that I wanted to, to create. Yeah. 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 Don't forget to get a burger when you're at Parlor. <laughs> I mean, the drinks are great, but my God, those burgers are good. Life-changing burger. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jesse. We'll be back in just a minute. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for coming. Good morning. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored to have renowned bartender and consultant Jesse Held with us today. He has caught the attention of foodies across the city with his work at Parlor and Burrow, but he has since refocused his efforts on Earl Giles a beverage company that he co-owns. Now, I want to talk about Earl Giles, but the problem is there's a million other things that I want to talk about. And one of the things that I really wanted to bring up with you is, so whenever I'm at a, a place like Marvel Bar or Parlor, I'm always blown away by the, by the sheer inventiveness mm -hmm. of, of the drinks. And, you know, I, I go to these places and I'll, and I'll take a sip and, and every time I just ask myself, how did they think of this? So that's one of the things I've always been very curious about when it comes to the, you know, the the craft of bartending. Mm -hmm. What what does the creative process look like? Well, for you specifically, because yeah. I'm sure it looks different for everyone. Yeah. But what is, I mean, what does your creative process look like? Um, that's that's classified information. If I told you, <laughs> I'll have to kill you. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, my creative process is a little bit different. Um, uh, it, no, it's 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 a lot different. I, I'm I'm assuming. I mean, I don't know how like. You know, uh, Nick Kosovich or, you know, anybody else that runs programs, how, what their process is like. But mine is something similar along the lines of seasonality. Um, what's what's coming in the season for there's a fruit herb, um, uh, different combination of spirits where you can take uh, two spirits and make and make a really unique flavor. Um, it really kind of depends on the mood that I'm in at that moment. Um, but when you strip all the layers of the onion down, um, at the end of the day, it is no matter what it says on a menu, no matter the flavors on the menu, no matter the spirit that's on the menu, um, there's always a classic cocktail hidden somewhere beneath all those words. Um, you know, you can give a fancy name to a cocktail and then list all these really intricate, cool um, ingredients. But at the end of the day, you know, whatever that ingredient is, whether it's like angel tears, you know, that's just simple syrup, you know, that's just a syrup of some sort. Um, it, it, it really, it really depends on what the menu is trying to achieve. Um, I think that's the biggest part of it. And, uh, the, you know, we take into consideration like cost, for example, you can't just put anything you want into a cocktail. You got to be, make sure that it's going to make the bar money at the end of the day. Um, efficiency. You know, no one's no one's going to wait 10, 15 minutes for a cocktail anymore. So we got to make sure that we're making everything as efficient as possible. Um, and of course, flavor. Um, so the, the creative process kind of it's a long process, really. It's not just I can't just sit down. Um, well, maybe I can nowadays because I've been doing it for a, a long time. But you can't just sit down and hammer out a menu and then spit it out a week later. You know, there's a lot more process that goes into it. Um, so yeah, it's, that's a good question. It's, it's, if I could write a book on how to do it, um, it'd be a long book because it, it varies on drink to drink, menu to menu, even bar to bar. I mean, yeah, I, I can't, if I were to take parlor's menu, I couldn't replicate it at like, let's say bunkers across the street. You just, I couldn't do it. Um, so there's a lot of things that there's a lot of uh, variables that go into creating a menu. 
Mm-hmm. Another thing that really interests me about um, your craft and your profession, especially is, and it's something we were kind of touching off air just now is a changing consumer tastes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, just how do you keep up with those over the years? I mean, being so involved in the industry, I imagine that, I mean, are these changes in consumer tastes very subtle and they happen very slowly and you just slowly try to kind of like understand where things are heading or some do some don't um the whiskey phenomenon happened very slowly and then all of a sudden once it happened it happened quickly so Mm. it was so when i was 25 i wasn't drinking old fashions i was drinking you know your vodka sodas and your gin and tonics and you know, those kinds of drinks. 25-year-olds nowadays, because they're way more um, plugged in, uh, they're they're way more woke of the situation. 25-year-olds now are are ordering Manhattans and Old Fashions and Negronis and Mezcal Old Fashions. And um, that just didn't happen, you know, I'm not going to say how many years ago when I was 25, (laughs) but... um, that didn't happen when I, when I was 25, it was, it was, so a lot of those trends do happen. Um, take a long time to happen, but once they do happen, like the mezcal, um, uh, phenomenon right now, you know, that, that seemed to happen overnight. And also yeah. now everybody wants to drink man, uh, uh mezcal. Yeah. So, but it, it really depends on, on what, what the trend is, but yeah, consumers, the vodka drinkers nowadays, God bless them. Um, you're seeing less and less of them though. You know, people are not coming to the bar asking for, um, something more creative, more, um, uh, branching out a little bit, you know, stepping out of their comfort zone. So that's nice to see for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, in the sense that, uh, consumer tastes have changed. I think the profession of, of bartending has also changed in really interesting ways. Again, hundred percent. Uh, much earlier, we were talking about how, you know, in the early, what, 1900s, you know, mm-hmm. they, the bartenders were looked uh, upon as white collar individuals, mm-hmm. as a white collar profession. Yeah. They would hang out, you know, with the, the accounts of that day and the doctors of that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then prohibition happened and then all of that got messed up. It but did. now it's starting to shift and not shifting back to that, but it's shifting to something um, that's just as revered. I... I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope, uh, um, I hope that, you know, my story can be one of those where you can look back on it and go, yeah, he actually made, he actually made a career out of that. You know, he actually really was successful at that. Um, and the opportunities that I've received over those years, um, because of things that I've, you know, accomplished or had the ability to do, um, were were a stepping stone to to make to do something bigger like Earl Giles, um, so yeah, I mean I think the profession of bartending is coming back into more of a uh, a craft, more of a skill um, where you can't just fall out of bed and get behind a bar and you know pour whiskey and beer all night long. Sure, those are bartenders too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm talking about the bartenders who um, make a career out of it and and go on to run a beverage program or be a beverage director or get to run a company like Earl Giles, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, and so that I think, I think those opportunities are becoming more and more prominent in our industry. 
Yeah, with the time that we have left, <laughs> the last two minutes, there, there, <laughs> there's been so many things I want to talk to you about, and I feel bad stuffing this in the last uh, bit here. But yeah, you, you are really refocusing your efforts now on your Earl Giles company. Really yeah. quickly, can you tell people what, like, um, what they can expect from that in the future? Because, um, I, I mean, people in the scene are very interested to see where sure. that's going to go. Um, uh, we're going to continue making cocktail syrups, elixirs, and cordials for all the bars out there and all the restaurants and, and, and home bartenders out there. Um, we are uh, we had just completed our second run of our, home, our, our uh, ginger beer um, that we're very, very proud of. Um, and we hope that we can spread that, uh, spread that gospel uh, as wide and far as we can. Um, and then we do have some exciting news that I can't share with you yet. Um, but uh, very soon I'll be able to tell you more about the next level of what Earl Giles is going to expand into. Okay. Um, which is why I'm, which is why I refocused all of my energy onto it because uh, the scale is large. It's big. <clears throat> it's frightening a little bit, um, but it's super exciting, and um, I can't wait to uh, to jump into it head first. Really can't. Right. Well, any r- risk worth taking in life is going to be a little bit frightening. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited excited to hear that. I'm excited to hear what that's going to be. Jesse, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for having me coming in. It, it was it was a pleasure.